Appreciate you doing that. So you've come, if you're in a bad mood, to the right place, okay? We're going to talk about anger, and we're going to see what the Bible has to say about that uh, big-time emotion that we all wrestle through once in a while. I got to thinking, since we have been wrestling through some pretty tough topics lately, uh, the last few weeks, and since we're going to be dealing with anger today, I thought I'd start out with a joke get us all in a, in a good mood. So I heard about a guy who went to see a counselor, totally stressed out, you know, just losing it. And he told his counselor, he goes, now this is embarrassing. Um, can't believe I'm saying this, but I, I don't know what to do. My wife's temper is out of control. Can I get an amen in the room? All right, a few guys in some big-time trouble for that one. So he said, uh, man, she's just out of control. I don't even want to go home sometimes. Uh, she just explodes, no reason at all. And I know it sounds silly. I know I'm going to have to turn my man card in, but I'm starting to get scared that she's going to harm me. And the counselor said, you know, nobody ought to live like that. That is unacceptable. And so the counselor said, I got a little trick I want you to try and uh, go do it. Come back and tell me if it works. He said, I want you to go home, and the next time that she loses her cool, I want you to get up right then. I want you to go in the kitchen, grab your glass, put it full of water. I want you to take the biggest drink you can get, and I just want you to swish it around in your mouth and do that for as long as you can until you can't breathe anymore. I just want you to try that. That works sometimes. And so the guy came back next week and said, it is a miracle, absolute miracle, man. He was happy. He was, he was just smiling. He said, it's just unbelievable. She's in a good mood. She's calmed down. We hold hands. It's incredible. And he said, but I don't have any idea how that water trick is making that happen. And the counselor says, oh, it has nothing to do with water. It was keeping your mouth shut that fixed everything. Now, I don't know if that applies to you or not, but the reality is to control anger and frustration usually takes a little bit more than a drink of water. And we're going to try to tackle it. We're going to try to jump in there and see if we can say some things from the Word of God that might be able to help all of us deal with this. This is one of those things, gang, that, I mean, it's hard to wrap your, your arms around. I feel a little bit like we've, we've uh, tackled it the way we have with some of these other emotions, with shame and anxiety and depression. And next week when we get into grief, they're, they're just complex. They're really complex issues, and it's really hard to kind of wrap your arms around it and to be able to handle it all in some simple little, little package. The scope is just so wide that it's, it's hard to do that, and anger fits in that. Anger is a complex issue with a lot of moving parts. It can be everything from some kind of mild disappointment all the way to some kind of harmful rage. It can be directed to a person. Maybe somebody cut you off in traffic. Maybe your kicker missed four extra points in a row. Um, it can be directed toward people. It can be directed towards ideas like politics. Aren't you glad that never happens, huh? It's, it's such a wide range of things. It can be managed from everything from, from counting to 10 to paying a therapist. It surfaces sometimes because of something you did, something somebody else did, and sometimes nobody did anything. And it can be attached to something happening to you right now. It can often come from something that happened decades earlier. I mean, it's incredible how wide and complex this scope is. Men 
tend to struggle a little bit more with it than women do. Ladies, can you say an amen to that? Okay. Probably because that testosterone thing, I don't know. Um, but don't get too cocky, ladies. You're leading the race with anxiety and depression. So we're even on that, okay? Sometimes, sometimes anger can come from a learned environment, okay? And, and uh, you learned it growing up. And so maybe you can blame your parents, okay? Um, but they're not too proud of you either, probably, at the same time. <laughs> Most of the time, anger gets the best of us because we're making a conscious decision to be mad, and we got to learn to control that better. But then there are other times when there's a wiring thing going on inside of us that might require somebody with skills to be able to dig down in there in therapy and find out what's going on and sometimes even use medication to do it. It is just a complex, complex topic. It really is. And so for you and I to, to come into a room and say, okay, let's spend a half hour or so and let's talk about that and let's kind of solve it all, man, that's, that's a asking an awful lot. But here's what you're going to find out in the next several minutes if you go on this journey with me, is you're going to find out that the Word of God has some things that can really make a difference. And so if you're kind of in the frustration angle, and that's kind of how it, it, it gets you, or you're kind of over here and you just lose your top at times, I want you to know that the Bible has some things that can kind of manage that, and I believe because God knew that that would be an issue for us as human beings. And so I just want you to trust what we're going to talk about, and you're going to walk out of here with some things I think might be, might be helpful to you. Now, maybe you didn't know this. I want, to, I want to start with this. Maybe you weren't aware that the Bible commands us to be angry. You might never have known that, but the Bible has an imperative command in it in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, and here's what it says. Be angry. It commands it. And that ought not be any surprise at all because the, the nature of God is to be angry. I mean, read the Old Testament. He was really ticked off at the Jews a few times. We're going to be diving into our study on, on Revelation and kind of uh, picking up about the 15th chapter in a few weeks here. And if you've been a part of that Revelation study, we're now getting closer to the end. And I want you to know the closer you get to the end of that chapter, the more you start hearing about the wrath of God, and bro, you don't want to be there. Jesus cleared the temple two different times. He came in, and there were financial crooks stealing money from other people, and, and Jesus just completely became angry, turned tables over, used a whip. I mean, that doesn't sound like a love fest to me, does it to you? The Bible tells us to hate what is evil, and you might hear from time to time people call that righteous anger or righteous indignation for good people and godly people to be angry at evil things. The Bible commands that. We, we saw a movie recently with some friends, and it was one of those feel-good, great movies, man. We went out there and said, man, that was an awesome movie. We're glad that we went. But there was a part of it that just ticked me off. It just ticked me off, and it just fired me up. And there was a part of that movie where they, they kind of made normalcy out of a particular sin in our culture today. And, and I, I just watched that, and it just, it just made me angry sitting there because I know in the direction of our world that my grandchildren grow up in a world that sees sin as normal 
And I was mad about that in the middle of a really good feel-good movie. But the Bible tells us, be angry. But if you go back to the 26th verse and you read the whole verse, you kind of get the nuts and bolts of what Paul says in that verse. And so let's go ahead and look at the rest of it. Be angry, but do not sin. And that is the heartbeat of the Bible's teaching about this emotion. Anger is not the problem. It's what you do with it that can be a problem how you express it, and what happens to it when anger becomes a part of your heart and your spirit. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna kinda jump in here and we're gonna say, okay, how can you have this emotion in your life but not sin? How can that happen? And you've come to the right place because we're gonna dive in and we're gonna see what the Bible does to teach that, how to be angry but not sin. Now, I normally don't do this, but I want to kind of give you an idea of how I went about um, the study for this so that you can kind of see where we're going to go and you can understand it a little bit. So let me kind of take you down a little bit into the weeds for a second here. And there are three primary portions of the New Testament. There are specific passages, three of them that zero in on the topic of anger. There's three different places in the New Testament, and these are the places. In Matthew chapter five, there's a section that talks about it that are the words of Jesus, and so Jesus tells us some things. In Ephesians chapter four, which we just read a little snippet of that, there's a section there that are the words of Paul. And then in James chapter one, obviously the words of James, James talked about it. So what I, what I did in this particular sermon is I took those three passages and I dove into them with everything that I know how to dive in to a biblical text and to try to decipher what God is trying to say that. And so I took each one of them and I just, I just started studying. I wrote down every single thing that Matthew 5 teaches, man, and I just wrote them all down. And then I went to Ephesians 4 and James 1 and I spent all my time diving in and saying, what do these say? And there is a wealth of information in those three passages, but something happened that I didn't quite anticipate, and that was that I noticed there was a lot of overlap. There were things that Jesus said that Paul also said. There were things that James said that Paul said, and vice versa, and we just, I began to see all of this overlap, and I thought that's what we ought to learn. We ought to learn the things that repetitively come up concerning the topic of anger because those are the things that God is saying, hey, this can make a difference. And so what I want to do with you is I just, I just kind of want to show you what I found out in my study. This is a little bit of a, a Bible study. And so you're going to hear today a lot of teaching from Scripture about different things that might be applicable to you in your life. So I put it into two categories. These are really important that you see the categories. The first category are things that we need to know about anger, and there are two of them. So I'm gonna show you two things that you need to know, repetitively mentioned in scripture. And then I wanna, the second half of this, I wanna show you three things that you ought to do about anger. And those also are overlaps. They're mentioned repetitive time by these authors. So two things you ought to know and three things you ought to do 
And, and that right there is so important. I, I want to explain that, and that's probably enough for us to go home on, but I'll finish. Watch this very carefully. The things we know ought to motivate us into the things we do. In other words, I do these things because of what I know. And if I didn't know those things, then I probably wouldn't do those things. And so that's very important that the Bible takes that approach. Let me tell you some things about anger, and because of those, this is what you should do. So with all that kind of put together, let's, let's kind of start walking through this. Two things we need to know about anger. Here's the very first one repetitively mentioned. Anger will harm your relationship with God. That single truth right there ought to be enough when you and I read that. That ought to stop the study right there and say, dude, I got to do something about it. When I get frustrated, when I get angered, when I lose my cool, I gotta do something about it because there's a direct negative relationship on my walk with God. That's what we mean by things that you know therefore dictate what you do. Look how James brought this up, this concept. James chapter one, anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. So God has in mind a plan about how he wants to love our life, and anger is not a part of that plan. That when anger is expressed in an inappropriate way, when you kind of lose your cool, when it kind of causes problems, that is not in the plan that God gave to us. Notice the Apostle Paul said the same thing. He had the same concept. He came from, from a different angle. In Ephesians 4, we have this statement, and it's right in this passage about anger. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Now, I know I say this stuff so much that you don't believe me, but, but I think this right here might be the most important thing that I say in this whole study. Until the next thing that I tell you, no, I think that's even more important. But watch this. That word grieve right here is where we get our word. It it sounds like the disease lupus. It's actually pronounced that way. And what lupus means, lupeo in Greek, is intense internal pain. And so people with lupus will describe it as an incredibly painful disease. And so here's, here's what Paul wrote. Do not bring great pain to the Holy Spirit of God. So how can you hurt God? How does that happen? This is one of the most misinterpreted verses in the whole Bible. I hear Christians say this all the time. He's talking about when you grieve the Holy Spirit of God in worship, when you don't raise your hands, you're grieving God. When you don't sing with everything you have, you're grieving God. Let me say this to you. This has zero to do with worship. It's not even remotely hinted at in the context. You know what this all comes from, this passage of scripture, listen carefully, when we get irritated with people to the point that we're unwilling to reconcile and try to figure it out and bring our relationship together. And when you do that, it brings incredible pain 
to the heart of God. Now, again, maybe we ought to just get up and leave right now. Because if you're in the room right now and you're mad at somebody and it has been expressed in an inappropriate way, you have hurt the heart of God. That's what the Bible says about anger. You see what I'm saying when I say, when you know things because you know them, then this is the things that I'm going to do because of that. Now, let me show you one other thing that the Bible tells us, things that we ought to know about anger, and that's the second one, and that is God wants his followers to be the example. This might here be the most important thing that I can, can say, but I want you to watch this, okay? Because I don't know how, how critical I can make this. Um, I, I want you to try to think for me about this in, in, I'm, I'm trying to think how I can express it best. And when I, when I wrote through it, I remembered telling you one time, I don't know, man, it's been a number of years ago. Um, so if you're here, you might remember telling about a buddy of mine who uh, is a teacher in Louisville, a high school teacher. And he's kind of an athletic jock type guy. And the athletic director came to him one day and said, hey, would you coach cross country for us this year? And uh, my buddy said, sure, I'll be glad to. What's cross country? He was a basketball dude. He had no idea what cross country was. And his athletic director told him this in the city of Louisville. He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get all your runners together after school one day. I want you to get them all together, put them in a van or something. I want you to drive over to Seneca Park. And when you get over to Seneca Park, you're going to find at the end of school that St. X High School cross country team are practicing over there. They practice over there every day. They've won 77 state titles in a row, something like that. And the director said, whatever they do, tell your kids to do. If they're stretching, tell your kids to start stretching. If they're sprinting, tell them to sprint. If they're jumping up and down, tell them to jump up and down. They run across freeway, run across freeway. Whatever they do, you do. That's the best thing you can do. And that is exactly the call that God gave Christian people. Exactly. Because in the fifth chapter of Matthew, if you were here with the last fall, we did a series called Kingdom Invasion. And in the fifth chapter of Matthew, Jesus taught a sermon, and it was about this. He said, I want my people to take our values, and I want you to invade the world with it. That you get out into the world and be the example of how we are to live life. And so in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, that's the whole purpose of that sermon of Jesus is the people of God, me and you, let's live our lives out in the world so they can watch us and see how we're to live our life. And once Jesus made that clear, he said it this way. Many of you remember these words from that, from that series. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. The world needs us to show them how to live life. That's the point. Now watch this. Watch carefully. Jesus then said, let me give you some examples of that. One of the examples was marriage. In other words, Christian people get out into the world and show the world how marriages are to be lived out. We are the examples. That was one of the six examples. You know what the very first example was? Hang with me. It's going to rock your brain. You know what it is? Go show them how we deal with anger. 
Now, if you don't get goosebumps on you right now, you ain't listening, okay? God wants us to be the example to the world. And of all the things that he could come up with in life, he said, hey, here's the first one I'm thinking. Go show them how they are to deal with anger. So let's just kind of get, let's get nasty about it for a second. So um, some, dude is, some dude is praying and he's praying to God and he says, God, I'm mad at my wife, I'm mad at my kids, I'm mad at my boss, I'm mad at the idiot that cut me off, I'm mad at everybody and I, I just don't know how to deal with it. Would God tell that person, I just want you to go live with you and watch how you do it. And that's the heartbeat of Matthew 5, is we are to be the example of how we deal with anger. So those are the repetitive themes that come up in Scripture, a couple of them, the things that we ought to know. And so kind of take a breath about that because that's kind of heavy stuff, okay? Anger, get out of control. Man, it is a negative sign about your relationship with God, and God has asked you to be the example to people about how to deal with that. So once those get heavy, you say, okay, maybe I got to do something about this. And the Bible says, glad you asked, and we'll give you some ideas. And so we go back to the text of these three sections, and we start to see that there are very practical suggestions given on how to manage frustration, disappointment, and anger. Very practical. Now, I've shared this in, in all of our uh, messages we've done. In, in the heaviness of depression and anxiety and shame, and we'll talk about it next week with grief, I've shared this same concept that all of those emotions can get to a point where they are so problematic that it requires some professional help. And that doesn't mean you're weak. That doesn't mean that you're not a Christian. That doesn't mean any of that. If you found out that you had cancer, you're not going to go home and say, well, maybe I'm going to sleep it off, Okay. There are times when those become so problematic that we need to seek out professional measures on how to help. But before you get to that point, and even if you do get to that point, the Bible offers the simplest of suggestions that here are some things you can do that will really help. And if you went back and looked at all those sermons that we've done in this series, you know that we focused on that. The Bible says do this. The Bible says do this. The Bible says don't do that. And those things really do make a difference. Same thing with anger. I'm going to show you three things that are repetitively mentioned. And I hope at this point that you're motivated. You're saying, man, i got to do something about this. i gotta, I got to make sure I get ahead of this thing because the stakes are too big, dude. It affects my relationship with God. I let down the idea that I'm to be an example. i got to do something about that. And so I'm going to show you three simple in the sense of understanding them, very hard in the sense of doing them. They're mentioned in Scripture. Here's number one. Here it is. Control your mouth. Now, I wanted to put shut your mouth, but I thought that's inappropriate in church, so I had close your mouth. 
And both those words would have got me in trouble with my wife. She don't like them. So I use the word control, but I want to be stronger on that. Now watch this. Watch this. When you go to those three texts and you start reading them, what is the Bible telling about anger? What do I do with anger? It is fascinating how many of them, the context somewhere in the midst of anger, brings up the mouth. That is not by accident. Look at Ephesians 4. When Paul was talking about the concept of anger, this sentence is in there. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. So he knew that anger and our mouth were kind of connected. When we go to the James text, we find he does, he does the same thing in the midst of the anger talk. Look at how James talks about it. Take note of this. That's, <laughs> that's James' way of saying, don't miss this, dude, okay? So I got that from the Bible. Take note of this. Everyone, somebody say everyone, everyone. Um, the person next to you, I mean you, okay? Everyone should be, and there's a lot of things they should be, and one of those, slow to speak. So the Bible knows something. The Bible knows that when frustration builds, and it literally builds, that's how it works, it builds within us that it needs a release valve. And the place it usually seeks to release is the mouth. So somehow you have to learn to put the brakes on that or at least put a filter on it. And so if you're the type of person, when that wells up and it explodes here, you have to fix that. Greg Rochelle is one of the most well-known preachers in America. Preaches to hundreds of thousands of people every week through his network of online ministry. I heard him one time share five rules about the mouth for married people. And he said, you, you get these five things down and you're gonna be okay. He called them the five nevers if you're married. So if you're never, or if you're married, here's your nevers to come out of your mouth. And I, I brought them with me. Here's the first four. Never call names, that makes sense. Never raise your voice. Don't ever do that. Never say never or always. How many of y'all do that? You never, you, you know what I'm talking about. Never get historical. You know why? Because if you get historical, you end up hysterical every time, okay? For, here's the fifth one. I love it. It's my favorite. Never quote your pastor. Don't bring me into that, okay? Y'all do that all the time. Dave said, Dave said, don't bring me. No, I'm not causing the mess in your family. Somehow learn to deal with the mouth. Now, let me move on to the second one. They're practical, very simple things, but they're hard to do. And I don't like this second one at all. But man, is it true. And I put it this way. Open your ears. So, so my word is close. My wife's word is control. Control your mouth. Open your ears. Now, what does that mean? I, I, uh, I struggle with this one. I don't know if I struggle with this because of something in my background. I don't know if I struggle with it because... I deal with pride issues maybe. I don't know if I struggle because of my position, but I struggle with this a great deal. I shared, um, I think I've told you one time that I was in a little bit of a disagreement with my wife about something. I don't even know what it was about. 
And uh, the frustration was building in both of us, and she's a lot better at controlling the mouth than I. And so the explosion came out, and this is what I said to her, and I quote, Susan, I am right 90% of the time. That's what I said to her. And she looked at me and started laughing, and the next couple weeks, she called me 90 all the time. We wake up in the morning, say, hey, 90, what's the weather going to be like? Surely you must know you're 90. <laughs> now, I want, you to show, I want to show you what the Bible says about that. James, back in his section when he's talking about anger and how we manage it, in chapter 1, again in verse 19, look what he says. Be quick to listen. And he's doing a comparison there because he told us, we just saw that, be very slow to speak. Don't let anger be expressed here. And then right on the heels of that, be quick to listen. And so what he was saying, what was he saying? Is whoever you're mad at or whatever you are mad at, have you, have you heard them out? Have you tried to understand where they're coming from? Have you asked, can, can you explain to me why, why you did what you did or why you think what you do or, or can you help me know what you know? And gang, there, there, there are times when somebody is totally wrong. Man, it is 100% their error. It's their fault. But I want you to know that that's rare. That is very rare. And here's what I've learned, that if, that if I can get into my head that I am going to be quick to listen, and I want you to hear this, when I open my ears and I be quiet and I listen and I acknowledge the 25% of this that they're right at, they then listen to my 75%. This is a magical, powerful statement from God, is when that builds up, Hold it here and open those ears and see what you might be missing. And that might change everything about the boiling frustration within you. Now, let me show you one more. And uh, it's probably my favorite one, and that is to slow your roll, okay? Control your mouth, open your ears, slow your roll. Now, what do you mean by that, Hastings? Well, I'm going to show you something, and I'm going to get, a, I'm not a psychiatrist, psychologist, I'm not any of that stuff, but in studying through these emotions, I've had to dive into that a little bit and somewhat kind of in an in a elementary way and learn some basic things about it, and I learned something beautiful this week that was a game changer to me in the expression of frustration and anger for me. There is a thing called, and I'm going to quote it so I'm saying it right, it is called the stimulus response model of behavior. The stimulus response model of behavior. Go Google it. You'll, you'll spend all night on it. And so put it up here. And so something happens that is the stimulus. Something occurs. Somebody said something. Something stimulates, and then there is a response. 
So think about, um, think about a bunch of, bunch of people doing a 100-yard uh, dash in the Olympics. And so the stimulus is the starter with that gun. And they hear that gun, that is the stimulus, and the response is immediately to take off running. And so there's all kinds of examples of the stimulus response model behavior in the world. Now, anger works that way. And so somebody says something or somebody's got an attitude or, or something happens, something goes on, and then you respond. So they, they cut you off in traffic or somebody disappoints you. You kind of get in the point here, and there is this response. Now, I want you to watch something magical. What if there was a way to delay the response? So the stimulus happens, and I don't react immediately. I delay it. So look up here on the screen. I want to kind of give a visual of that. So the stimulus occurs, and now there's going to be a gap of time before I respond. And so with your eyes, I want you to look up here and see what happens. Is the intensity of the response has gotten smaller and less explosive. We've went from large font to smaller font. We've went from caps to small letters. And that happens every time you delay the response. It's called slow your roll. Now, let me show you that in the Bible. If we go back to the James text, we find in the middle of all this stuff, James uses this concept, be slow to become angry. And that's what he's talking about. Delay the response, make it slow. Now, anybody who's ever studied these verses and have kind of jumped into it, you would say, but Dave, there's, there's a problem with that. There's a problem with that because James is talking about slowness but there are other verses that talk about speed. For example, if you went to Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus is talking about the anger stuff, Jesus has this concept in verse 25. He said, settle matters quickly with your adversary. There's no delay there. We're talking speed. We're talking immediacy. And the Apostle Paul did the same thing in his text from Ephesians 4. Look what he said. Some of you have heard about this verse. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Deal with it. Don't wait. No delay. Take care of this. And so anybody that would study that would say, we, we got a problem here. One, one passage talks about being very slow. And one passage talks about being very fast. So when do I know that I need to react immediately, and when do I need to know that I ought to widen that gap and be slow? What's the difference? Here it is. Check it out. Look at this. Always be fast to unite. Always be slow to divide. And when you speak, you know exactly what you're trying to do. Always be fast to unite. Always be slow to divide. Now, my prayer is that you can leave after we've done this study today 
And uh, we didn't do anything today that made anybody cry or anything like that. This was an information thing. And my hope is that all of us walk out of this room today and because of the things we know, there's some things we're going to do now. Now, let me kind of give you one kind of motivating little story. It's motivating to me anyway. I have a, a brother who's five years younger than me. And as best as I can remember, um, I'm in my early 60s. He's in his late 50s. Uh, as best I can remember, we have always got along. Um, we got along growing up. We were like best buddies. We still get along. We have a lot of the same interests, good relationship. And all that's just been really good. I have a blessed relationship with my brother. I can only remember one time when we were really, really angry at each other. That's the only time I can remember. And I couldn't tell you for a million dollars what it was about. I don't remember. I was a little kid. We were both little kids, and we were arguing and yelling about something, and we were coming to fisticuffs. And so, you know, I'm, I'm probably about nine, you know, big, tough nine-year-old, and I'm pounding on my four-year-old brother. And so uh, I just remember that going on, don't know what it's about, but I remember what happened. And I can see it today. All those years, I can see it today. And my dad came in. We were in the little living room we were there, where we lived, and he grabbed us both by the shoulder. You know that little thing there where they grab you and you think you're going to see Jesus in about 30 seconds? And he grabbed us both there, and he led us out in the side yard right over the, by the apple tree. My sister's here. You remember the apple tree? Okay, took us right over the apple tree, and he said, fight it out right here. Go at it. And we were both in shock because most parents say, don't fight. And our dad took us out there and said, go at it. Get each other. Nail each other. Go for it. And we were just in shock. What are you talking about? And then he said this. And it is, it is nuts to me that all these years later that comes to mind when I'm preaching a sermon about anger. He said this. If you're going to fight, you will not do it in my house. And I think that's what God says. You're my kids. We're all part of my house. And that's not what we do in my house. Father, I, I want to pray for every situation that I'm unaware of in this room that this struck a nerve for. And that's probably a whole lot of them. I thank you, Lord, I thank you that you took people who struggle a little bit with this and you covered us with the love of Jesus on the cross. And you taught us what grace was and forgiveness and tenderness And I pray that when, when we walk out of here that there's a thing or two that your word has attached itself to us. And when we wake up tomorrow morning, changes will be made. I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.